Welcome to FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. Find out more about us on feps-europe.eu. Hello, this is FEPS Talks, the podcast series of the Foundation for European Progressive Studies. My name is Laszlo Andor. I'm the Secretary General of FEPS. And I have a special guest today, my former colleague, my friend Stefan Fühler uh, from the Czech Republic, who in the Barroso II Commission was a commissioner for uh, enlargement and neighborhood. But also previously he was an ambassador of his country, including to NATO. Stefan, it's really great to see you. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation to Fab Stokes. Very nice to see you. Thank you very much for the invitation. Stefan, Europe is under shock. I think it's not an exaggeration to say that uh, the Russian invasion against Ukraine took uh, most Europeans by uh, surprise. And obviously the European Union as such has also been unprepared for this uh, situation. Is this the end of the dreams about uh, a geopolitical European Union? Or quite the contrary, is this going to be the birth of uh, the strategic autonomy of Europe? What do you think? I think it's going to be definitely a strategic shift uh, in how the European Union thinks and reacts to the open military invasion in its neighborhood. We're talking uh, about a neighborhood country, we're talking about the association member. But I think it's not going to be about the end of a geopolitical European Union. On the contrary, I think we will see uh, the EU stakes uh, in the world to raise. And I don't think that's going to be necessary sort of the strategic independence or autonomy because what I see really as a value added is that the democracies all over the globe are united both in condemnation of this war launched by Putin, but they also are united in measures against Putin regime. Uh, they are united in supporting the Ukrainian people in their fight uh, for uh, their freedom, independence, uh, and uh, and sovereignty. So the European Union will not be the same after this, uh, and I'm confident it will be stronger. It will be much more aware uh, of uh, its role in the global affairs, not only from the soft power uh, point of view and trade and economy. But at the end, uh, we will see the European Union not only to prevail, but actually, as I indicated, to become a stronger partner, but partner for good Mm. for everyone with uh, the good intentions. I will come back to the question um, of how the European Union will develop. But let me start um, with the reaction of the European nations. Mm -hmm. Because the European nations responded very quickly with an unambiguous, strong solidarity, uh, financial but also uh, military aid to the Ukrainians to help them to defend themselves, uh, but also helping the refugees uh, who came in enormous numbers across uh, the borders. What else could Europeans do to help Ukraine? 
I think use every instrument it has uh, in its power, both to support uh, the Ukrainian quest for the freedom and at the same time also to send a, a, a very clear uh, messages through the concrete set of measures uh, against uh, the ruler in Moscow and also uh, in Minsk uh, that uh, they will not get away with this kind of uh, Attitude. The European Union has actually a lot of instruments. For the first time, the European Union is using its own financial resources uh, uh, to buy uh, the, the different armaments to help the uh, Ukraine. There is a direct financial assistance. There is a, a, a rethinking about uh, the Ukraine place in the European family. There's a huge program going on to support, uh, indeed, the migrants uh, coming uh, from actually migrants. Uh, I belong to those who do not like uh, the, this uh, expression in, in the case of, of, of Ukraine. So I to welcome our Ukrainian uh, friends who are sort of striving for the time being uh, to leave uh, the horrors uh, of this uh, military uh, operation. There is hardly any limits what the European Union could do and what is prepared to do. The measures against the sanctions against uh, uh, Russia in, in, in particular are unprecedented. And it's not because someone would uh, like to see Russia on its, on its knees and particularly the Russian people on its knees. But, but it is uh, a strong uh, signal uh, to the regime and to the, to the people you know, at the 21st uh, century in Europe, uh, we do not behave like that and using the military means uh, to settle our differences. But I'm sure a lot of people ask the question why we ended up in this uh, situation, where the missed opportunities to prevent such kind of uh, conflict and all-out military invasion. Did European Union diplomacy fail? Did they try it uh, hard enough? And uh, when I'm asking these questions, I have in mind, uh, let's say, the last uh, six months or one year, but also a longer uh, time frame. When was uh, perhaps a time when a different direction could have been taken? Wow, that's a uh, number of the difficult questions at once. Uh, Listen, first of all, the European diplomacy, I don't think it has failed. Uh, uh, it has been put in an impossible situation because, as you have just indicated, it has not been there from the very beginning when a number of sort of the preconditions uh, have started to rise, uh, uh, which sort of now resulted uh, uh, the situation we face. And sort of giving the, the time framework the External Action Service uh, uh, exists, uh, I think, and, and securing the unity of the European Union member states and expressing uh, very clear the overall EU position on these issues, I think it's uh, quite a success of the External Action Service uh, rather than a, a problem. I, I think the one who bears the sole responsibility is, of course, uh, Putin himself. He made it very clear that it's uh, him uh, who decided uh, to send his military uh, to a sovereign and independent uh, uh, country. Could we have made it more difficult for him before? Could we limit somehow the area 
uh, or the space uh, uh, for him. Maybe, yes, we, we, mm. we could. Maybe we could have been more clear in our aspirations uh, where the Ukrainians belong, because Putin might have quite a feeling that we actually are not uh, very much willing to accept the Ukraine as a part of our European family. He thought we were bluffing about uh, both NATO and the European uh, Union. But look what he has succeeded uh, over the last period of, of years. Uh, actually, more and more Ukrainians favor part membership in the EU and membership in, in NATO. And also, while we were sort of skeptical about the European aspirations of, of Ukraine, I think uh, there is now uh, a unity behind us uh, looking forward uh, to welcome Ukraine to a European uh, family. Mm. Before looking forward, why don't we look back to the short history of the Eastern Partnership? Why was this? Uh, why, why did all this disintegrate? Because somehow there was a very good attempt, I think a good concept, And uh, we see uh, in the last years a kind of disintegration of uh, this policy. Maybe the group of countries to which this was targeted was not homogeneous enough. Uh, maybe it was Russia itself um, uh, which uh, undermined it. Why was it uh, eventually not a success and should it be tried again? I think because of the obvious reasons. On one side, uh, you have uh, the European Union, who first bases uh, its own policies uh, on the aspirations clearly expressed by the citizens uh, of our partners uh, on one side. Uh, and uh, on the other side, uh, uh, you have also the European Union, which strongly believes uh, that it is uh, an inherent right uh, of the uh, of our partner countries to choose uh, the kind of the security arrangement uh, or economic and trade arrangement uh, uh, to their preferences uh, and then you have the politicians uh, in um, russian federation uh, uh, who do not share the the concept who still believe that uh, the ukrainians and russians same nationality that uh, actually the border of russian empires or the are sort of the western borders of uh, ukraine if not uh, uh, if not farther and who uh, believe strongly that the decisions were the these country should be a part of the EU or NATO or any other sort of arrangement uh, with uh, the rest of the democratic Europe, that these issues to be decided in Moscow and not necessarily in the respective capitals of our Eastern partners. It's a, it, it's a pity that uh, while we were uh, very ambitious and consensual in our policies towards our Eastern partners, that we have not shown the same ambitions uh, uh, and the same uh, level of consensus vis-a-vis -vis the Russians, uh, although there were some attempts to, and the partnership for modernization and, and, and other policies. But unfortunately, they were abandoned by the Russian politicians <clears throat> before they started to bring uh, the benefits uh, mm. uh, to Russia and Russian people. Mm. I heard some experts saying that um, uh, in case the European Union gave a kind of stronger, more clear, more forceful reaction to the events in Georgia, 2008, or subsequently in Belarus, maybe it could have sent a kind of 
more clear message. Maybe those were opportunities to somehow to tame Russia, to, to clarify what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. What would you say to that? I think on, on one side, I would say uh, to uh, many repetitions uh, uh, we're hearing from Moscow that there are a number of the red lines uh, uh, for uh, Russians uh, that we should also have uh, uh, our red lines. Um, and our red line should be that uh, if the country, its citizens, population aspire to have a closer uh, relationship with us, uh, then we sort of extend our uh, hands, our assistance, and we will try to match their aspirations with uh, our uh, support. I think the problem starts uh, when we are not uh, sort of uh, coherent in our policies. Uh, the problem starts when we start to make some kind of compromises uh, and one could say that something like that could happen actually at the Bucharest uh, summit uh, 2008. You have uh, indirectly alluded uh, to, because at that time uh, we have uh, agreed the language declaration which actually promised the membership or says that the Ukraine and Georgia will at a certain time uh, become the NATO members. But at the same time, the member states have refused at the same summit to grant the membership action plan mm. for those two countries to prepare for the membership, to get closer and actually pass through. So in other words, we have given the light at the end of the tunnel without actually telling our partners how to get there. The message to Putin and those who want it, uh, uh, who have a completely different agenda, of course, were, was very clear. We were uh, bluffing, the West was bluffing, and I think he, he in, uh, in August the same year, uh, has shown very clearly uh, in, in Georgia what he think about all of that. By the way, that was the summit itself in Bucharest was the first opportunity when I heard, uh, uh, and I was sitting there at the NATO-Russia council table, when uh, Putin has uh, uh, referring to Ukraine, uh, he said that Ukraine is an artificial uh, uh, country. Hmm. And we, I was one of many others who didn't know, I mean, how to react at that point of the time. And we now have much, much better understanding, um, unfortunately, of what he meant. Uh, of course, uh, many, many years ago. It surely was not a misunderstanding. But, no, uh, no, no, not uh, anymore. Uh, uh, an indication of uh, uh, Russian policy would travel in the coming years. Look, recently, if we can jump from the question of NATO to the European Union, uh, because the government of Ukraine, uh, shortly after uh, the country was invaded by Russia, formally applied for membership in the European Union. I think this uh, definitely forces us to think more seriously about uh, uh, the enlargement policy of the EU. I really wonder what you think the key step uh, could be here. A, a kind of reconsideration of uh, the criteria, creating some special membership. How can the European Union, the European nations, respond uh, to this uh, request? Uh, no, there is no special membership, as there is no special European Union. We have only one European Union, and it's based on a number of normative uh, uh, acts, on a, on a number of the rules, principles, uh, uh, 
guide our work uh, uh, and in almost all all areas. Uh, but look, uh, in Lisbon Treaty, we once more have underlined that any European country has the right uh, to apply for the membership. Uh, if it supports and promotes the values the European Union is, is, is based on. We know about the Ukrainian aspirations for some time. Uh, I see only logical that at this difficult time, they making also what's actually reflecting in their constitution, they making it uh, very clear when it comes to the relation to the European Union through applying for the EU uh, membership. Now, the most important thing is that uh, we have not uh, uh, wasted the time uh, uh, through questioning what does it mean, whether it's a good time and so on. I think we have made the right steps. We have asked the European Commission to come out with its assessment. And the most important, I think we have made last week in Versailles and the European Council meeting, we adopted a decision or adopted a language inviting uh, our uh, Ukraine uh, to become a European member of, of our family. That's the most important because until these days, we have never made it clear that the Ukrainian aspirations to join the European Union, which were clearly voiced a number, number of times in the past, uh, that we have associated with them. So that mm. was for the first time this association. Now, now of course, uh, uh, the enlargement uh, process could be flexible uh, and in the case of Ukraine, it could take the association agreement we have signed together with the deep and comprehensive free trade uh, agreement. There has been so far the successful implementation of the a lot of work in getting closer to the European European Union has been done already in Ukraine. That might accelerate uh, the membership. But what I consider at this point of the time the most important, it's not necessarily to speculate at what time the Ukraine will become the EU member, because mm. it will be at the time when it's ready. Mm -hmm. But, but to underline, uh, but to send a strong message to those who are fighting today for their lives, for their families, uh, uh, for their independent country and for the Ukrainian place in Europe that yes, we absolutely for the first time telling you or sending you this strong message that your fight is not only to, you know, for the Ukraine to survive, Mm -hmm. but also for Ukraine to become a part of the European um, family. Mm -hmm. I see the point, but at the same time, we also have um, the request from Georgia and Moldova. Plus, we also have the process in the Western Balkans. And um, you remember when our countries um, in 2004 joined the European Union, that was already called the Big Bang. Now, what kind of Big Bang we can foresee if all these um, uh, applications would need to be respected um, in a constructive uh, fashion, or how to solve uh, this? The first big ban, I expect, uh, is going to happen to, uh, in Brussels, in the European Union, and among the member states, because they have to look very seriously at the enlargement process. It's at the stalemate, 
It's been a year since we have uh, welcomed uh, uh, the last uh, uh, new member from the Western Balkans, Croatia. Uh, you have been in the in the college. I was in the college at that uh, uh, at that time, Absolutely. and there was no enlargement uh, uh, since that time. It appears that number of the member states uh, are not ready. That the current structure. The current way we operate is ready to uh, have other new member states. I respect this uh, uh, position, but I'm also calling on those uh, member states to initiate uh, the strategic discussion uh, uh, about the future of the European Union enlargement uh, process. Look, the enlargement process, the enlargement itself, is the most successful transformative instrument we have. Thanks God. And I think it's a proof that the project of the European Union is is, 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 is worthy. That there are still a number of the countries knocking on the on the door. At this difficult times and challenging time, we need to be blessed by uh, this interest and we need to do everything uh, those who want to join us, to join us in such a way that they be a contribution to the European Union, to our common goals. Uh, so there is a, a big task ahead uh, for the EU mem member states uh, uh, to make the enlargement uh, working in the transformative way to have a bigger uh, European Union, a bigger uh, democratic and uh, peace-loving uh, uh, Union. Mm. Um, if you allow me, I would like to ask um, a final question, which is not about the enlargement, but deepening, and deepening especially in the field of defense and security. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not simply a response uh, to the war in Ukraine. Uh, since um, right after the Brexit referendum in 2016, the European Union launched so-called PESCO. Um, I'm not going to explain now what this um, abbreviation is, but I suppose that our listeners are familiar with this concept and also remember why it was a logical step right after the UK decided to leave. Uh, but in response uh, to the war in Ukraine, Germany, Denmark, um, other countries made very important decisions about um, their own uh, security and defense uh, policies. Um, do you think we will soon uh, see the rise um, of a proper defense union, a new dimension, a new layer? of the European integration as a result of uh, these dynamics? Look, um, uh, I, I definitely expect uh, the EU member states to take uh, the security and defense uh, much more seriously uh, uh, than until now, both within the European Union framework, but also in the framework of the North Atlantic Treaty uh, organizations. I think that uh, there is going to be also a stronger uh, uh, strategic relationship and cooperation with the United States. I think this this unity and coordination we have seen the, the last uh, couple of weeks and, and months is to remain uh, uh, some kind of useful instrument uh, uh, to guide us to a, a stronger and more capable uh, um, European Union in security and uh, and defense uh, defense terms what kind of shape it will have uh, well, what's going to be uh, what the level of independence compared to nato uh, to what extent it will be built within the nato at this point of the time i do not consider the most important 
what I consider the most important is uh, exactly as you alluded, this readiness and willingness now to take the security much more seriously to uh, start taking a concrete steps uh, uh, to show that the European Union is strong not only uh, in a soft power, and I hope uh, uh, it will be still also attractive mm. as a soft power, but uh, that it will be also strong uh, uh, in a hard power and that it will be taken seriously, not only uh, by uh, uh, partners such, but particularly by eventual adversaries. Mm. Uh, Stefan, I wanted to thank you for uh, this um, exchange. Uh, obviously, I didn't want to ask any prediction because um, <laughs> uh, we are in a situation when uh, it's very, very hard to predict what happens tomorrow or next week. But your thoughts based on your experience in European policy have been extremely valuable uh, for me and I hope also for the listeners. So let's reflect on these questions, obviously, uh, in the meantime, trying to ensure that the support to the Ukrainian people and for the defense of Ukraine continues to be uh, robust and potentially also strengthens. And um, we will see at some point a more secure and at the same time peaceful Europe emerging on the horizon. And I cannot agree more with you, Oslo. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. And best wishes to Ukraine. Thank you for your attention. If you found our conversation interesting, do not hesitate to share it on social media with the hashtag FEPSTalks. More is yet to come. Stay tuned.